I'm Kim Bremer, your host today for another edition of Bova News, keeping you up to date on the cattle industry's latest in technology, management, genetics, and more. Today, we're going to talk about the use of genomics in seed stock beef operations, and it's received widespread adoption over the past decade. But however, use in commercial beef herds has been limited until recently. Advancements in research and technologies made it possible for genomic results to be calculated on commercial crossbred animals, opening new management opportunities for commercial cow, calf, and feedlot owners. Today's webinar, we're going to explore how cattlemen can get the most from using genomic technology, including tools and resources that are available to them. Our first presenter we're excited to have is Kelly Ritalik. She's the Director of Genetic and Genomic Programs with the American Angus Association. She coordinates research and application strategies for genetic and genomic technologies tailored to members of the American Angus Association and their commercial customers. She works with her fellow team of scientists and information systems professionals to deliver genomic evaluations to the American Angus Association weekly, as well as six other beef breed associations throughout the year. Her past experience includes working for the American Galvey Association as the Director of Member Programs. Thanks for joining us today, Kelly. Thanks for that introduction, Kim, and we're sure happy to be a part of this uh, Boba News Beef Genomics webinar here today. Um, like Kim said, I'm Kelly Ritalik, and I work with our group here in St. Joseph, Missouri, um, to provide genomic technologies to both our seed stock and commercial users of Angus Genetics. Um, when we go through and look at the different here, let me start over. Okay. AGI is a, a leading provider for beef genetic information. We work with several different breed associations, both internationally and here in the United States. And we also offer a genomic testing option for Angus seed stock and Angus influenced commercial cattle. And I think the one thing that we've learned over the past 10 years as we've started to incorporate genomics into the seed stock world is that there is a place for genomics in the commercial beef industry. And the one thing we know for sure is that genetic change is not the problem. We can just look at these three pictures here on the screen and understand that when we're able to put selection pressures on traits that are heritable, we can definitely make uh, differentiated progress across the generations. And for years, we've been evolving the evolution of livestock management. And it's really been through different trait measures that we've been able to do this. So long before any of us heard the word genomic technology or genomics, um, in the commercial beef space, we've been making livestock improvement uh, through measuring different traits, whether that be individual traits like weaning weight and yearling weights, um, using within herd ratios and EPDs, along with more recent tools like economic selection indexes, which really try to simplify this process, not only for our commercial producers, but even for some of our seed stock producers that are providing genetics into the commercial industry. And where Angus C is genomics aiding um, the commercial beef sector is really through, through two different um, targeted areas. I think the first one um, that we all know and we've all been focusing on for a really long time is through bull selection. Um, even though this isn't a genomic test that, uh, that commercial producer is probably integrating themselves, they're going out and they're selecting bulls that have already been genomic tested to really bring that accuracy into their herds. In many cases, that bull selection feature is probably um, the biggest investment that many of our commercial producers are making in their cow herd uh, each and every year. And so we want to make sure 
our CSAC producers are able to equip them with the most information to really provide them a good experience uh, with their genetic progress. And then I think the second half um, of the picture we can talk about is heifer retention. As we continue to build cheaper um, and better tools for the commercial beef industry, it's been actually a very good source of information for those commercial producers to take in, understand the underlying genetic merit and genetic potential um, that's there behind that group of selection replacement females and allow us to make better selection decisions um, throughout this entire process and also follow up with better mating decisions if we're using things like artificial insemination or multi-sire pastures in order to make sure that we're putting the right bulls with the right females to optimize our genetic progress. Well, let's take a step back and let's think about that bull selection, what it really means to have a bull that's genomically tested um, with a genomic profile that's then already included in their EPD predictions. And so this would be a typical Angus pedigree uh, without a genomic test already inputted into their EPDs. And I think if you look across here, we look at our common traits like our birth weight and our weaning weight EPDs, and you can see a fairly low moderate accuracy value for those two individual traits. We come across here and we can see traits like docility and, and dry matter intake and residual average daily gain um, that basically have the I in front of those individual EPDs, which is really gonna mean that that's an interim EPD. And when we talk about interim EPDs, we're really just talking about a pedigree um, estimate EPD from the individual sires and dams. So basically we take the sire and dam EPD and add it, add them up together and divide by two. It's not super scientific. Most of you can do that on your calculators that are already on your cell phones. And so we really like to be able to use genomics to drive the accuracy and information um, that we have in our EPD predictions for those traits that are hard to characterize for some members. After genomic testing, this is a fairly, uh, fairly simplified version of what we're gonna see. You can see that those birth weight and weaning weight accuracies have increased. You can see that we filled in um, those traits that have interim EPDs. Those interim EPDs, including residual average daily gain and dry matter intake, our feed efficiency traits, which are really expensive to measure for most of our members. Most of our members aren't um, able to put in grow safe systems where they can actually capture that individual feed intake data. And so we're able to leverage genomics to basically make predictions on the bulls that you as commercial producers are going out and, and purchasing and having to make purchasing decisions about because we're able to leverage the information and the data we do have to allow us to make genetic predictions across the board. And then with that, we go down and we can see those carcass traits. Carcass traits, obviously on our seed stock cattle, on the bulls you're going out and selecting, we're obviously not collecting individual carcass data on those bulls because we're keeping them for breeding purposes. And so in other cases, we'd have to wait all the way until those bulls are yearling age in order to ultrasound scan those bulls to gather carcass information. And if we take a genomic test day one on an individual bull, we could basically fill those predictions in uh, much earlier and evaluate those traits at much earlier ages. When we think of the added value that we get from that uh, $37 test that are provided by our partners, um, both Neogen and Zoetis, when we talk about influencing our genomically enhanced EPDs, the one thing that we really like to talk about here at Angus is this idea of progeny equivalence. I think at the end of the day, we all know progeny data is king when we're talking about a national cattle evaluation, when we're talking about a genetic evaluation um, 
first seed stock animals, but how much value are you really gaining when you're purchasing a bull that has a genomic uh, test behind those EPDs? And so when we look down here, we talk about something called progeny equivalence. And so you can see our EPD traits listed over there on the left. And if we come over here to this middle column, this progeny equivalent column is how much added accuracy in progeny equivalence we gain by having that genomic test. So for instance, let's take birth weight for an example. No one wants to be outside pulling calves, especially um, if you're in the Northern states in the middle of the winter time, pulling a calf in negative 10 degrees at night. Um, so obviously we put a lot of selection pressure on things like birth weight and calving ease. By having a young yearling sire bull genomically tested, it's basically like having 23 progeny records already in our evaluation. Okay, so when you think about a yearling bull and how many cows you're placing that yearling bull out on, you know, it somewhere ranges normally between 20 and 25 females for a young yearling sire on his first um, time out on pasture. Having that genomic test is like having a whole calf crop's worth of data already in our genetic evaluation. And so that should be a really good way for you to basically help aid you in your selection decisions. Bottom line, when we talk about genomics in that bull buying decision, they're a risk reduction tool, right? A genomic test um, basically is going to increase the accuracy um, of those young yearling sires to basically having seven to 33 progeny born and measured and in the valuation. Now this is obviously dependent on the trait. So those young bulls actually have a much greater accuracy when you're going out and you're making those bull buying decisions um, in the spring or fall. From the commercial side, when we think about um, providing that service for this heifer retention portion, AGI also provides commercial cattlemen um, with GeneMax Advantage. And what GeneMax Advantage is, is basically a comprehensive heifer selection product. And we see this being very involved um, with some of our commercial cattlemen that are using Angus Genetics because it allows them to really dive in and get deeper and select the animals and target for their breeding goals. So one of the features that I really like about this GeneMax Advantage and that a lot of these commercial beef tests have out there in the market is the fact that we have these index scores. These index scores are economic indexes that basically help us to simplify that selection process, but also start to allow us to bring in the economics of this situation. Obviously we wanna drive genetic potential, but we wanna do it in a profitable way. And using a, a commercial heifer testing product that has these economic selection indexes can sure help us evaluate the profitability of these animals as well. Generally, when we talk about genomics, we see more progress across the board. Here you can see trends that are basically uh, pre-genomics here at Angus, so 2001 to 2010, and post-genomics, 2010 to 2016. And in most cases, you can look across the board and we're actually making more genetic progress um, from year to year uh, when we look across our genetic trends when we include that genomic data. Why? Because we're able to make more accurate decisions earlier on in life and select the best animals to take to the next generation. The one thing I always like to stress when we talk about commercial um, testing products that are genomic based that go into the commercial cattle industry or even our databases that run our seed stock evaluations is that it's really based on how big in the quality of those databases that are behind those tests. So when we think of um, the different types of databases that feed into those genomic predictions, I think it's important to keep in mind that not all genetic predictions are gonna be created equal. 
just depending on the sheer amount of mass pedigree ties and how those individual um, testing products were built. So if I was going to go out and purchase one of these tests, I would want to make sure and understand, you know, where is that information coming from? How strong is that database driving um, those genomic predictions? Because without data, right, our genomic predictions are weak. And then on the flip side, not all genomic tests are created equal in terms of how many actual performance traits are behind there. So it's just something to keep in mind as you start to delve into this world of genomic testing in our commercial beef industry. With that, I'm gonna wrap up and kick it back to Kim um, for our next speaker. Next up is Dr. Kent Anderson. He serves as a Director of Technical Services, Global Beef Genetics, Zoetis, where he primarily supports beef genomic testing, genetic evaluations, and related services. Following graduation from the University of Nebraska and Colorado State University, and prior to joining Zoetis, Dr. Anderson served as Director of Education and Research and Executive Vice President for the North American Limousine Foundation. Today, Dr. Anderson remains active in his family's commercial cow-calf operation in Nebraska. Dr. Anderson, welcome. Well, thank you, Kim, and thank you viewers for the chance to be with you today and speak about genomics and commercial beef operations. As I begin, uh, Thanks also to Kelly, you laid a wonderful foundation and much of what I'm going to visit about is really just an extension of what Kelly has already covered. So first, let's just uh, review the classes of cattle for which there are genomic tools available for commercial producers. Kelly mentioned bull buying and higher accuracy genomic enhanced EPDs. I'll touch on that a little bit. She's covered it so well. She also touched on replacement heifers and how genomics can help um, inform selection and breeding decisions. And finally, um, really a new frontier as it relates to um, application of genomics is in the feeder cattle world. And we'll, we'll touch on that briefly as well. So as Kelly mentioned, um, not all bulls are created equal. You as commercial cow-calf producers have different needs, be it heifer bulls or bulls from which to produce replacements, or for that matter, uh, bulls to produce uh, feeder cattle that grow efficiently and um, produce valuable carcasses. And really um, the beauty of genomic enhanced expected progeny differences is that it is, the, it is the seed stock producer that is making the investment in the technology on behalf of the commercial bull buyer so that they can make more dependable decisions. And Kelly touched on this already, but I'd like to zero in on this word dependable. So buying bulls based on genomic enhanced predictions as compared to conventional predictions, it's like buying a bull that already has a first calf crop with growth and efficiency and carcass information available and contributing to the accuracy of their EPDs. It's also like buying a bull that already has probably two crops of daughters in production with a lifetime of their information contributing to the evaluation. So in other words, um, as Kelly mentioned, it's taking the risk out of the bull purchase decision. Uh, so the genomic enhanced EPD is like having an insurance policy that the genetics you're purchasing is indeed going to get transmitted to improve the productivity in your cow herd. Kelly mentioned this as well, that there are an emerging set of genomic tools available to help inform replacement heifer selection and breeding decisions. So in most commercial cow-calf producer operations, um, we are gonna need to replace 15 to 20% of the cows each year. And that then requires that 30 to 40% of the heifer crop 
uh, be selected and held back as replacements. We know that depreciation, cow depreciation, is probably the second or third highest ranking cost after feed cost in, in cow-calf uh, producers' um, annual expenditures. And we also know that um, heifers uh, that drop out of the herd early, so selection mistakes, are quite costly. And so um, um, the, the technology is meant to augment the time-tested visual appraisal uh, such that we can evaluate traits in the unseen world that we know relate to the lifetime of productivity on, on a given set of females. So we're not trying to replace good cowboy common sense when it comes to visual appraisal and selection, but we are trying to get some insights onto traits that are in the unseen world that are gonna minimize the dropout rate and maximize the productivity of these females throughout their lifetime. On the screen right now is a list of all the different genomic tests available for replacement heifers. Now the, the caveat I'd like to mention here is I'm not sure this is necessarily complete. I'm pretty sure it's not entirely up to date and I know that it's subject to change because these technologies are pretty rapidly evolving. But at my last count, there were upwards to a dozen, perhaps more, uh, different tests available to help inform those replacement heifer selection and breeding decisions. The one takeaway I would like to just emphasize on this slide is that um, you'll notice the target populations differ and vary depending on the test. So for those of you that are commercial cow-calf producers listening, uh, just be mindful to use a test that is applicable to the breed or breed crosses of females that you have in your operation. I also wanted um, here to touch briefly on the general features you're going to see in genomic tests available for commercial crossbred and straightbred replacement heifers. So there's a six or so of, of these different general features. Most of them are going to include genomic predictions for a pretty long list of individual performance traits. Sometimes those predictions are expressed in units of scores from one to 10 or one to 100, or in the form of a genomic EPD and an associated rank uh, that uh, gauges then uh, the benchmark of where the genetic merit of a given individual or set of heifers are relative to a commercial reference population. The next general feature is, is normally uh, these products have economic indexes and associated ranks. Those are really meant to simplify selection so that you can look at one number and get a read on the combined genetic merit of replacement candidates across all the traits weighted according to their economic importance. Next up, uh, most of the traits will um, offer sire parent determination. So if the bull battery from which the heifers were produced has been tested and are in the evaluation or the system involved with a given test, uh, the result will then also inform which bulls produced which heifers. And that's helpful in managing inbreeding and also managing future bull purchase decisions. Increasingly, these tests are becoming more sophisticated, and some recent versions include genomic approximated heterosis or breed composition to help provide insight for lowly heritable traits related to reproduction, fitness, and survival traits, and then also to better and more easily manage crossbreeding systems. 
And finally, uh, most all of the tests offer certain add-ons, uh, be it determination of sex by virtue of genomics or add-ons such as color or polled or various genetic conditions. So um, before you test efforts, um, I would advise you look at that list on the previous side and evaluate the various features that are available and which ones of those features uh, mean the most to you and can help you make the best decisions. I wanted to just touch briefly on what we think is a pretty good testing strategy as it relates to commercial replacement heifers. We've done some economic modeling on this front and this is a very general, very simple uh, set of guidance. But normally we feel like um, depending on the count or the number of females you need to replace uh, cows in a given year, if you test roughly two thirds to three fourths of the earliest born heifers that meet your visual criteria and have the look of making good cows, uh, that uh, then combined with selecting and breeding the top half to two thirds of the ones you test, normally then generate the best return on investment. So in other words, you're not wasting money on heifers that don't have a chance of being selected anyway, but at the same time, you're testing enough to weed out the ones that might be cheaters throughout their productive life that you shouldn't really have kept, and then also to cast your net wide enough to capture those that have genetic merit for the most lifetime productivity. Uh, finally, I, I just wanted to mention how all these things are really interrelated and part of a genetic strategy for commercial cow-calf producer. So on one hand, buying the best bulls based on genomic enhanced EPDs um, produces the best pool of replacements from which to test and select. Obviously then if we're using the replacement tool, uh, we can be more efficient in our replacement heifer enterprise and more times than not get the most productive ones selected and retained. But finally, all of that can inform feeder cattle decisions. And increasingly, we're seeing tests become available on the market for uh, direct testing of feed, uh, feeder cattle, as well as indirectly, we can learn a lot about feeder cattle by virtue of what we know about the bull battery, as well as the selected and tested replacements. But the question I always get is, do genomic predictions work in commercial cattle, be it replacements or feeder cattle? And the various companies um, really do put a lot of effort into trying to validate the test to make sure that um, what is predicted, almost solely based on just the genetic marker information, to make sure that that indeed works. So I wanted to just share uh, one such set of results from a set of about 700 feeder cattle that we tested and then tracked through uh, the feeding and carcass phases of production. So on the orange line, you just see increasing overall genetic merit for the combined feeder and uh, carcass traits. So traits like growth, dry matter intake, carcass weight, quality grade, and yield grade were all measured. And um, the genomic predictions for those traits in orange um, contributed to a feedlot carcass index. And we split the animals into four groups based on their index outcome, the bottom or least desirable group on the left and the top or most desirable group on the right. And then we just uh, looked at the carcass value associated with those groups sorted based on the genomics alone. And you can tell here there's exactly $100 difference between those that were genomically predicted to be the least valuable versus those that were genomically predicted to be the most valuable. 
So there's a growing body of this sort of evidence that um, certainly substantiate that the technology works, the technology can be used to drive productivity and, uh, and both attack the cost as well as the revenue sides of production and advance some um, things in, in um, relative economic returns. So with that, Kim, uh, thank you very much for the chance to be with you and your audience this morning and I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Kent. Next, we have Jimmy Taylor. He ranches near Cheyenne, Oklahoma. The direction of his ranching operation changed in 2005 to become more profitable by capturing premiums on each animal marketed and becoming more sustainable by developing replacement females with multiple traits that work in his ranch environment and program. Use of genomics plays a large role in making these objections a reality. Thanks for joining us today, Jimmy. Thanks, Kim. My wife, Tracy, and I run Taylor Ranch, which my great-grandfather started putting together in 1914. We've got a commercial cow-calf operation and run Angus and Angus Cross genetics. It takes about 20 acres to run a, a pair for a year, so we run approximately 600 females on 12,000 acres. We had tried uh, different uh, ways to, to make a living on the ranch. Uh, we, we had purebred cattle at one time, commercial, commercial crossbred show steer. And I just wasn't satisfied with, with the direction and the amount of profit that each calf was producing. So in 2005, we took a deep look at it and uh, changed direction. We wanted to uh, find a way to enhance the value of every calf. And after looking at it for a while, decided that carcass cattle were the way to go. We were going to retain ownership and sell on a grid and get premiums for quality grades uh, based on the number of primes that we produced. If that had been the only goal, it would have been a lot simpler. But at the same time we were doing that, we also wanted to develop good replacement heifers that fit our operation and, uh, uh, and our environment. So, we bought bulls 2005, uh, first calf crop. We, we fed out. Uh, those were two 2007 born steers. The first calf crop went 12.5% prime. So we got some bonuses. We were about three to four times the national average for prime at that time. So felt pretty good about our direction. Five years later in 2012, those, those steers that, that were born that year ended up going 19.5% prime. We were making progress, but the progress was slow. Things started changing in 2010. Technology started coming along that, that could help us make our progress faster. 2010, the HD50K test came along, which enabled uh, genomically enhanced EPDs uh, uh, to be there on bulls that we bought. So this meant the numbers we were looking at with those EPDs were six to seven times more accurate than without the genomically enhanced EPDs. In 2012, we added timed AI to uh, our operation. And uh, then the last game changer came in 2016 when uh, they came out with the test. So let us came out with a test, the enhanced GMAX advantage test. This uh, 
this test enables me to know how each of my females rank against all animals tested down to the percent. So I know which one of those traits uh, they're weak in, which ones are strong in, and I can help them in those areas where they're weak. It also changed the way I looked at my bulls, my, my AI bulls. Uh, I found that now that needed to be more diversified. In the past, uh, those EPDs that looked very similar on those bulls, uh, pedigrees were, were different, so I could change that up. But now I needed bulls to do different things for me. I needed a bull that, that could increase milk production and also a bull that could bring milk production down. Uh, same with frame size. Needed a bigger frame bull, uh, uh, a smaller frame bull. And uh, in different areas, I would need to increase or decrease those traits to, to bring them to, to an optimal level. Um, I'm gonna move to the next slide here. And this is an example of a worksheet that I use. You can see the cows are listed on the right. The numbers on each of those traits are on the, the left. You can see the traits I'm working with are Cabernet's maternal weaning weight, heifer pregnancy milk, mature weight gain, carcass weight marbling, ribeye and fat, then there's a, a total index score. And this, uh, this test also has a tenderness component to it. Uh, the way I make that chart work for me, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. This is just the, the method I came up with. I set my parameters on top, and if they fall out of those uh, uh, less than or more than, I will circle that trait for that cow, and I'll find an AI bull that will make them better in that area that will improve them. A uh, couple of traits that, that you want an optimum rather than the most. Uh, milk is one of those. You can see where I've set my parameters. Uh, I target those, those uh, females who are less than 40% or more than 70% milk area. We don't need them having too much milk out here. Uh, same way with the fat. We, uh, we're targeting uh, those females that uh, were more fat, which is the lower number. Uh, those would tend to get us too many yield grade fours and, and fives when we fed our steers out. But then got to thinking that uh, that would also, if we went too far that way, we might end up with uh, some hard keeping females. So we've, we've got the, the uh, range of uh, 50 to 80 there. And by the way, on this test, 100 is, is better in most cases, zero is, is not good. If you move to the next slide, this is uh, the results of what I've been able to accomplish by using this test. On the left side is the year these replacement heifers were born. And what I would do like the 2012 group that you see in the upper left-hand corner, I would take an average of their GMAX Advantage scores, and that's what you see going across there, and then did that with each year going forward down to 2018. You can also see when I, I had the implementation of uh, timed AI with genomically enhanced bulls, uh, started using them 
between the 2012 and 2013 year, and also the implementation of the enhanced GMAX Advantage DNA test. Uh, if you look at the bottom, you can see the progress I made in each one of these traits. And you can see every one of them is going in the right direction, except those we wanna uh, have an optimal number. Uh, for instance, that Cavanese uh, maternal, uh, we increased that by 10%, weaning weight by 32%. Uh, you can go right on across there and see what's we what we did in each trait. Notice milk, uh, the fourth one, we held at zero. We held right in that range where we wanted to. We don't want too much milk for our environment, but we want enough milk in them where they're gonna grow. If you'll move to the next chart, that chart is the same on top, but uh, I'm gonna point out some things that uh, or some traits might have been antagonistic with each other. Um, We've increased uh, our weaning weight 32%, gain 22%, carcass weight 25%, while increasing the mature weight by only 7%. We've increased marbling 24% while actually reducing external fat. We've increased weaning weight uh, gain and carcass weight there again by quite a bit while improving Cavanese 10%. We can Continue to trend towards zero in the bottom third for tenderness. We've increased marbling 24%, while at the same time increasing ribeye area 22%. Held depth steady at 48%. We've increased the total advantage score, that total index. We started below average, and in that time period, we're, we're now up to 80%. We've increased growth dramatically in the, the three growth traits while improving heifer pregnancy by 23%. So you can see by using that test, we've made progress in, in every area that uh, we would want to have and, and kept an optimum for things like milk. Now, that's the replacement heifers and, and that's a DNA test. Uh, we also tracked their steer mates that went through the feedlot and went to the packer. We did the same groups you can see on this chart that uh, uh, started in 2012, went to 2018. It's fairly busy. I'll point out about three, three areas here where we made an improvement. Now keep in mind this chart, these cattle were not fed to make a chart. They we varied their days on feed by market conditions and uh, uh, weather would play into that also. And also point out that these are NHTC cattle, so they, they were not implanted. Uh, you can see the dry matter conversion is going in the right direction. If you move over toward the right uh, under the, the heading packer, you can see the percent prime there, just to the left of that and down. There's that 19.5% prime that we started out with in, in 2012. If you go down to 2018, the last year, we had increased that to that group of steers brought 70% prime. At the same time, the ribeye area was increasing on these, uh, started out at 12.71. 
and ended up uh, just a tick under 14. Also notice uh, the year before that, we were actually more. Uh, we, we were a little over 14 there, 14.34. So if you'll move to the next chart, we've, we've got that uh, plotted there. Those two, uh, uh, the DNA ribeye on the heifers, which would be the, the uh, blue line. You can see that's trending up. Also, the orange is the steers that, that were harvested. Uh, their their ribeye areas, uh, you can see them each year, they're trending in the same direction. But notice the last two years, it's showing that, uh, that down tick, uh, just as it did on, on the two, uh, two charts. Uh, the, the actual for the steers is following what the heifers did. If you move to the next chart, the, the heifer pregnancy is trending in the right direction. We started out at 45%, ended up around 68%. Uh, our most recent preg check, we preg checked uh, 142 cows, and this is all cows uh, from breeding back to their second calf to the older cows. Preg checked 142 of them. We had five open in a 53-day breeding season. Uh, only three and a half percent open. So that is matching up with what we're seeing on the, the DNA results. The more data I have, the better job I can do as a manager. If I have a number to work with, I can improve on that number. Genomic testing has, has taken the guesswork out of the equation and allowed me to move forward in a more rapid pace in all areas of my operation. Now we've developed a side business out of, out of this. Uh, you notice all the primes there. One of the perks of this is I get to sample the merchandise. So I go to the feedlot and I'll, I'll bring an animal home and, uh, and butcher it and, and serve at our house. My friends and neighbors found out what I was doing. So they were wanting some too. And, and uh, we've, uh, got that up to where this last year we we brought 60 head back and uh and sold us butcher beef and when they go up there i don't know which one i'm going to get but it doesn't really matter because we develop every animal like we're going to serve it at our own table the bottom line of this is when a consumer gets one of my beefs they're going to have a good eating experience which will in turn create more demand and hopefully make all our operations more profitable. Thanks. Next up, we have Kenny Stoffer. He's a director of beef sales for Neogen. Prior to coming to Neogen in 2018, Kenny was a general manager for Top Dollar Angus, a genetic certification and marketing company. Earlier in his career, Kenny and his family managed Hoot Owl Ranch in Western Nebraska. Over his career, Kenny's developed a passion for beef genetics, product marketing, and customer relations. Thanks for joining us today, Kenny. Good morning, thank you. Um, this is a topic that when um, Mike reached out to me, that was like, this is, yeah, absolutely we'll do this. You know, this is something that wakes, gets me out of bed every morning and our team and, you know, commercial, genomics in the commercial space is, that's where the industry's headed. Um, we're going to see more change in the commercial sector from, uh, moving forward than 
what the industry has ever seen when it comes around genetic selection and more profitability and more efficiency for our cattle and our producers. So um, this topic is near and dear, and I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Today, I want to focus, you know, Kelly, Kent, Jimmy, they've done a tremendous job of outlining some of the, the capabilities and the, the technology and science behind it. Today, I want to focus on my side of the presentation on implementation and, you know, where, what sectors of the industry are even using it? You know, we touched a little bit on the seed stock side. We touched on the cow-calf side. Um, but it's moving faster and, and more rapidly through every chain of the industry. And that's what I'm going to touch on today. So, you know, what is, what is Neogen? You know, that's, um, we, we focus on gate to plate. And that is very important because it is more than just, just the genomic side. We got to make sure that our, the, the food supply that we are producing for our consumers around the globe, it's safe from, from gate to plate, you know? So with Neogen, we have our, our three different head uh, locations. Our headquarters is our food safety division. And that's what it is, 100% food safety from our restaurants to our packing houses all the way down to our animal safety division. You know, that's the, the utensils, the, the needles, the syringes. And then most importantly is the genomic side. And that's our headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. And that's what we do, 100% DNA and 100% genomics in over 40 different species. So, you know, it's just not cattle that are using it. Um, we go from porcine to poultry to, you know, our, our biggest competition, the, the shrimp industry, you know, every, every protein there is, is using genomics. So how does the beef industry stay ahead of all of our competition? And, and that's, and genomics and DNA is allowing us the tools to be able to compete with, with all the other proteins that are out there. That just happened in United States though, absolutely not. This is a global, um, technology that is used around the globe. You know, with Neogen, we have um, 120 countries that we are operating in and six genomics labs. So it's it's not just here. They're from Australia to Brazil, to Canada, to, to Europe, to China, everywhere across the globe. Genomics is becoming a very, very important piece of that. So how are we gonna compete? If all of our neighbors overseas are using this, you know, the, the commercial sector here in the United States, we have to be the drivers. We have to be the leaders and we have to be the, the first to adopt this technology to be able to compete. So mention the different segments of the industry. So what does that mean and, and where what where are we using genomics? And you know, it's from from the AI companies, from from conception when we are make, being able to make faster genetic decisions on embryos. You know, we have producers that are genotyping an embryo to decide, do they want to insert that in a recip or not? You know, they're looking at sex and they're looking at quality before that's ever even implanted into a, into a female um, to the seed stock. You know, Kelly mentioned it, you know, we work with 33 different breed associations that are utilizing genomics at some level. Some are much, much more advanced. Some are just getting started. But as a whole, the industry is seeing the value that genomics brings to the, to the industry 
And more importantly, it's that push and that drive is coming from the commercial sector, the commercial market, the commercial rancher. They're they're seeing the value that genomics brings and the risk reduction, the increased accuracies. You know, as they go to their seed stock supplier and they say they're demanding it, well, we know our our seed stock producers, they're going to do what that the best interest for their customers and they're going to do it. Um, all the way down the commercial, you know, it started as early adopters. You know, we had some of the largest ranches in the United States that came on board first, the King Ranches, the True Ranches, the Parkers, you know, they, they came on first. But now the trickle-down effect is happening. And more and more every day, the adoption is continuing to increase because as everybody on this um, call so far has mentioned, the increased accuracies, the ability to make decisions sooner, um, the efficiencies, you know, they're seeing the value in that um, to the marketing channel. That's a new one. Um, you know, in the marketing sector, um, superior livestock, um, they jumped on board. They're the first ones to have a 100% genetic merit test as a value added just to help reduce, reduce risk for their buyers or help to differentiate cattle for their sellers. Um, companies such as Top Dollar Angus, where they're genetically verifying um, Angus Link. You know, all these companies that are starting to look at genetic verification through DNA is driving that value added market on the marketing side um, to what's really exciting is now we're in the feedlot. You know, these feed yards are now able to start to look at days on feed, um, traits such as bovine congestive heart failure, um, looking at which marketing management of their marketing, do, are these cattle gonna qualify for grid? Or are these not? Um, all the way down, I'm going to skip a few sectors from packers to retailers, but then all the way to consumers. Blockchain, our, produce, our consumers want a story. They want to know where their food comes from. And blockchain is now using genomics to really add that true traceability through that. So I mentioned a few of those topics, but all right, now how do you, how do you implement those? What what are those levels? What are the availability for each sector? And we'll start with heifer selection. You know, Jimmy, Kent, um, they all talked on it. You know, what is the most profitable um, area that a ranch can improve? And that is on their heifer selection, on stability, uh, being able to make those selections sooner rather than later. You know, the technology allows for a producer to test the baby calf. They can know what that animal is going to do from a day old. Um, they don't have to wait three, four, five years to find out, oh, I made a, a wrong decision. Those females, they might look identical, but we all know that genetically they're much different. Genomics is the way to do that. So with our test with Igenity Beef, um, they'll, the producer will get 16 different traits, um, three different indexes, a maternal, a production, a terminal. You know, whatever market, whatever avenue they're wanting to go down, um, a beef dashboard so they can manage their data. That's a big thing. You know, through genomics, if a producer invests in the technology but then can't manage it, um, it's, it's really useless if they don't use it. So we had to make sure that they had some way of actually customizing their indexes, what's most important for their operation, and then managing that. Next is the feedlot sector, and that's something that's very exciting. Um, 
the genomic technology is going to change the way the the feeding industry has done it for a hundred plus years. You know, everything's on the averages. Buy on the averages, sell on the averages. You figure feedlot performance on the average. You get paid on the grid based on whatever the plant averages. You know, everything's on the averages. What about individual management? How much faster can you turn over your feedlot if you had individual management days on feed? Um, how much more would you be profitable if you could manage groups of cattle based on what their market potential is? You know, where are they going to hit the grid or are they not? Um, such as health traits, bovine congestive heart failure. Um, would you manage those cattle a little different if you knew who were going to be at the highest risk of bovine congestive heart failure? And that's what identity feeder brings. You know, that's a test that now helps not only a stalker or a producer market advantage to their steer calves, but it also they can take it down to the next level, the feed yard, and you can start to manage days on feed, optimal days of profitability on days on feed. You're not overfeeding underfeeding a pin of cattle, you know exactly based on their genetics, what day those calves are going to meet their genetic potential. And at that point, their efficiencies drop, drop drastically. Um, you're going to know what their terminal index is. You know, where, where are these cattle going to hit the market? Are they going to hit grid or not? Um, they're going to get a bovine congestive heart failure score. You know, can you manage your cattle differently with that information? And then lastly, you're gonna get your identity branded tier score. And that's the next thing, marketing. Identity branded allows you to stamp your cattle. We all know that everybody thinks their cattle are the best. Well, let's genetically prove it. And that's what identity branded through Superior Livestock. It's a value added genetic test that takes a lot of risk and a lot of the unknown out for our um, buyers and our sellers because it's black and white. It's in front of them. This is what these cattle are going to do. And like never before, if we had that, you know, the buyer that bought your cattle the year before always has a leverage on everybody else because they know what your cattle are going to do. With identity branded, now we level the playing field. Everybody has the same transparency, same insight. You know exactly what those cattle are going to do. And last thing, the consumer. You know, like I said, the consumer wants the story. Um, they want to know where their food is coming from. They want to be able to have that warm, fuzzy feeling that, hey, this, this animal was raised at um, the Smith Ranch, you know, in, in, in the beautiful state of Montana. And that's what genomics and DNA can do because currently with all the other blockchain providers out there, you lose traceability when the head comes off. When you lose that EID, you have lost that traceability. DNA is the only true traceability. And with Neogen's blockchain solutions, we're able to track that animal from its DNA, from conception, all the way to the stake that lands in New York City, because DNA never changes. So with that, I hope that gave everybody, the audience, a little bit of insight of what sectors of the industry are using genomics. And it's here to stay. Um, this, this technology, is going to continue to advance. It's going to continue to get better. And this is something that's going to change change every industry, every sector from um, that we've mentioned here today. So thank you all. Um, Kim, I'm gonna turn it back to you. Thank you, Kenny. And our final presenter today is Robert Gill. He's the superintendent of True Ranches LLC. 
Rob has managed several ranches throughout Colorado, Texas, and now Wyoming. Recently, Rob served as president of Sonex Cattle Company and is currently the superintendent for True Ranches LLC, a Wyoming-based vertically integrated beef cattle operation. Rob has responsibilities for eight cow-calf operations and two farms in their feedlots. Most recently, True Ranches became a strategic investor and partner in Fort Supply Technologies, where Rob serves as a director and member of their senior management team. Fort Supply Technologies provides innovative precision livestock management solutions. Thanks for joining us today, Rob. Thank you for that introduction and, and thank you for making me part of your conversation today. Uh, we've We've jumped into using genomics in a big way and um, have found it extremely useful. Uh, historically, True Ranches um, is, you know, has been a fully integrated system, if you will, from, from a cow-calf operation all the way through to finished cattle sales. And one of the primary uh, areas in which you know, we retain all of our own replacement heifers. Um, we also retain uh, several uh, home-raised bulls. And we really didn't have any metrics uh, to actually know what we were selecting for. Uh, we basically were looking at phenotypic traits, um, uh, primarily weight, age. And so we spend considerable amount of money on bulls and we're using EPDs and, and those factors in which to uh, you know, move forward with our genetic selections. And so when I was approached by uh, to share a cattle company in Neogen with the idea of, of uh, being able to use genomics in the selection process. So after being approached by a Neogen and to share a cattle company and, and asked, you know, what if I could tell you certain characteristics uh, through DNA analysis? And of course I was excited as you can imagine. So we jumped into it in a big way and we began for a number of reasons why. Well, the main thing was, is I would like to know where my, where my, uh, the composition of my current herd is. And so we select, uh, we began doing that through a series of, of genomic analysis. And, um, we wanted those metrics in order to make a better effort at our heifer selection. Um, in addition, we wanted to be able to analyze our trends. How, how is our herd improving through time? And so how we began doing that is we, we basically took a TSU sample of every replacement heifer, uh, any potential replacement uh, home-raised bull, and now recently began sampling all of our terminal uh, steers. And part of that is we run the identity beef uh, panel with those 16 traits. And most importantly in that, um, we have used the feeder and maternal indices scores. And what I like about that feature is that the user can select and weight those different parameters. Now, um, we like to, uh, you know, we emphasize several traits in the feeder portion of it, marbling, ribeye, uh, tenderness. And then on the maternal side, we use, a, a, you know, we, we put a heavy burden on stability, docility, cabinets, and those types of parameters. So we use that indices um, in, a, in a number of ways. Um, and so I've taken a little different approach than I think most of uh, folks using some of the genomics. And so I take, I basically do a, a, a computer exercise first. I take all those results 
from our uh, scores, maternal and feeder. And I do a, basically a sort. And I sort those uh, from high to low, if you will. Um, I don't use only those two indices, but I use all 16 traits. And when I put a composite score together, then I sort those heifers, physically sort those heifers based on those numbers. Then we come back and do a, a, a phenotypic sort. And um, we found that to be fairly effective. And so I really, uh, it, it's, been a, it's been an interesting process um, because you have a lot of livestock judges and cowboys that have worked for me and they see this pretty little heifer being cold out. And so it's, it's hard for some to swallow that, but it, uh, going by the numbers first, and then we go back in and sort phenotypically. And that's been fairly effective for us. Um, there's a slide um, that I am showing as just an example. And it, it's, a, it's an XY scatter plot. I, I literally plot the maternal versus the feeder scores. And in the upper right-hand quadrant is really the, the top feeder, top maternal scores. Uh, left top quadrant would be your, your uh, high maternal scores, low feeder scores. And so this is simply an example of how if you just took a herd, put those uh, data on a map, and that lower left quadrant is really what we're calling out of. And so we're, we're protecting that top 50, 60% of our, of our selection um, based on these maternal and feeder traits. Uh, we've seen a tremendous improvement in our in, in our heifer and also in our carcass data. And so we uh, now going on our fourth year um, are, are just tremendously happy with our progress. There are some operational challenges and I, I think you need to be aware of them. Um, you know, anytime you're collecting more data shoot side or or whenever you decide to to take samples, it does increase in processing time and and so you have to accommodate that. And and what we did is we developed our own software. And um, as part of that was able to um, do a shoot side process and data management and analysis and keep that data um, and that traceability with that EID all the way through the system so that we can get a feedback loop essentially and get that data back and put it back into our data analysis for future decisions and future um, selection processes. And so we've been fortunate to uh, partner with Fort Supply to help uh, with that data analysis and management. And so with that, um, I guess I'll turn it back and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and get started on just a few questions for all of you today. Thank you so much for all the great information. Uh, I think I want to start first with Kelly today. I want to talk a little bit about the investment. So genomic tests require a financial investment, how can commercial cattlemen get a return on that investment and how quickly would they expect to see it or could they expect to see it? Yeah, yeah, so that's a great question about the investment and obviously there is a cost to all these tests and we have to weigh that into our individual management decisions, right, for, for different beef producers in their operations. And I think uh, with Rob and Jimmy on this call, you can really see the value of, of making that investment when you have a targeted plan and a, and a breeding objective that you're trying to, to reach. And I think that's the one thing how we can really get our full investment back and return on investment back is when we start to think about, okay, we do all this great genomic technology, it's cutting edge, um, it's going to help us drive genetic improvement, but let's not forget to do the stuff at the beginning, right? Let's sit down, let's make a plan, let's figure out, 
you know, how we're going to use that genomic information. I think Kenny mentioned it. If we don't put it into practice, um, then it's not a good return on our investment. If we're just going to look at the sheet and kind of get a value of where our cows stand and not really put it into practice and use it in our everyday mating and selection decisions, um, we're going to give up that investment that we put into that genomic testing. And so making sure we have a breeding objective, a plan, we know how we're going to market those cattle so we can use that genomic technology to place the appropriate uh, selection pressures on those different traits to get us to our goals. And I think that's really how you know, we get that return on investment. I think we get an immediate return when we start to select those replacement females. But then down the road, as we continue to use them in breeding and management decisions, that investment just keeps coming back to us over time. Perfect. Rob, from your perspective as a cattleman, and Jimmy as well, what is one management change that commercial cattle producers need to make in order to get the most from using genomics? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, from a management perspective, um, I think it's important that, you know, if you can't measure, you can't manage. And so one, one aspect that I know we've made some major changes, we actually you have to use the data. I mean, trust, but, but verify. Um, we've taken the leap of faith at it uh, and tested it, and then we believe it works. Um, you know, and think about, think about the changes that you can make, uh, you know, improvements in stability or heifer pregnancy, and the, that, those improvements affect the bottom line. And um, so I think it's, it's important that you use the data, and, and I think uh, you, you're going to make the investment, you're going to spend the money, and I think you have to have uh, faith in using the data and, and measure it to see the, the increases in, in your productivity. I, I agree with Rob uh, using the data. And the, there's a lot of data there. So it, I am still evolving in how I use, use that data. Uh, uh, like I showed on that one chart, but I, I made another tweak this last time when I use that data for, for breeding decisions. I guess the, the, the one management change that if you're not doing it where you could, you could optimize and, and, and get the most out of, uh, of this data is uh, moving to a timed AI because I've identified each trait that needs to be corrected on each female. And if you're AI and you can go in there and get the right bull to do that for each female. You can also use this if you're, you're, you don't have the facilities to AI. Uh, you can do a similar thing, but you'll, you'll need to group your females. Uh, uh, it'll identify those that, for instance, are a little short in marbling. And that's where you, you'd want to group those together in, in selectable that uh, uh, would, would enhance their marbling. And the same with all the other traits. And if you, do, if, uh, uh, you just wanted to to uh, simplify it even more. You can take the average of your herd, and it will point you to the type of bulls that you would need to to improve areas in your whole herd. Uh, Kelly, how can genomics help commercial cattlemen produce cattle better suited for characteristics and demand by the packing industry? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think. Uh, Jimmy is really a testament to this. Um, he's used a lot of genomic technology in his commercial beef operations to really target for some of those grid marketing characteristics. 
Um, I think the one thing that genomics can do a really good job with are those highly heritable traits. When we think about carcass traits, those traits that the packing industry is targeting, um, they're highly heritable. So if we put selection pressure on something like marbling, right, to increase our quality uh, grades and things like that, we're going to be able to do it pretty quickly and pretty efficiently um, with the use of something like genomic technology. Um, because a lot of those traits are controlled. Um, a lot of the variants in those performance traits are controlled by a large portion of genetics. And so by using genetic tools, we're going to be able to make pretty quick progress um, in highly heritable traits like those that the packing industry is focused on. So couple that with using economic indexes that are provided through these genomic technologies to make sure that we're kind of staying in bounds from a profitability standpoint. Um, I think that's honestly probably one of the quickest um, ways we can integrate genomic technology and, and focus on that specific breeding objective to do that. Hence, well, some tools are available to enhance selection of replacement females. What tools are available for bull and feeder cattle selection for the commercial producer? And I guess Kent and Kenny could both answer this. Well, thanks for that question, Kim. Kenny, I'll take a stab and then you can fill in the gaps, okay? So as we mentioned, we've got genomic enhanced EPDs for bulls across most all available populations. So that's an obvious tool. Kim, um, on the slide I showed, there was a list of um, various tests available for commercial replacement heifers. Some of those are uh, directly from applicable breed associations. Uh, some are from the company that Kenny works with and some are from uh, Zoetis. And um, there's other providers as well. And so uh, those uh, tests generally have a variety of features and so a little bit of um, uh, research is usually needed to figure out which test is most applicable to you. Um, if you do an internet search, um, I think University of Missouri at one time um, summarized the different features of various tests and so that's one resource. And obviously you can go to the breed or the company and uh, we're happy to provide technical and background information as well. As um, was mentioned on the call, there's a evolving and growing uh, set of options relative to feeder cattle. Um, historically, programs like Angus Link and others have used information on the bull battery. Uh, some have used information on the heifer mates to then predict the uh, feeder cattle. But as Kenny pointed out increasingly, I think the vision is more complete whole calf crop testing where we have the predictions on the feeder cattle themselves. And it can be used to inform things like whether or not to retain ownership, uh, uh, inform price discovery. Obviously, if they're going to grow and convert and grade and get premiums like uh, uh, Jimmy has achieved, uh, they're worth more than, than not. And so uh, there's a growing list of those as well. And um, you know, I'm going to stop there and uh, Kenny, I'll let you fill in the blanks. Thanks, Kent. Um, you did a tremendous job. The only place I will you know, add to it is most all our breed association customers, you know, they've, they've worked with the, the genomic suppliers to help them build, you know, breed specific tests, you know, cause that's where it starts. We need to make sure those bulls have those genomically enhanced EPDs or the females, because it all goes downhill from there. That, that is where we start at. So whether you're looking at the, the Angus side with Kelly, with the, upgrades and we know we're 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 getting up to 75,000 markers that we're looking at or the other breeds that um such as red angus hereford gelvy limousine all those breeds you know we're we're 
even a higher and above that, a hundred K, you know, so the, the breed associations are really, really driving the, the, the adoption because such as the Angus is, you know, there there's markers that we're looking at that they don't even, the commercial producers don't even know. We're looking at research markers that are looking at 10 to 10 years ahead that where, where's the it breed going to be going. So that's very important to start. And then, and then all the way down the commercial sector, the feeder is how can we take risk away? And that's exactly what um, I mentioned. Identity feeder, you know, days on feed, um, get those animals out as quickly and most efficiently um, to bovine congestive heart failure. That's one of the leading economic losses in a feedlot. How can we help them be more profitable? So that's where we're headed. And I think it's, it's here to stay. You know, Kelly, does genomic selection, do the tools for commercial cow-calf producers work better for some breeds and crosses than others? Yeah, so that's a great question. So as Kent and Kenny kind of mentioned, right, it all kind of starts with creating this training population, right, in order to come up with these genomic predictions. And I think um, kind of that point I was trying to make on that last slide that I was presenting to, to the group was basically, you know, when we look at these genomic predictions, the one thing we have to consider is what is the database, right, that is driving those genomic predictions? Because I think the one thing we've all learned um, with this genomic technology is you can have, you know, 70 or 100, you know, thousand SNP markers on these chips, but if we don't have the actual performance data to drive those genomic predictions, right, our genomic prediction accuracy is gonna decrease. And that's something that we continuously stress um, to our seed stock producers and our commercial users of Angus Genetics, that that performance data, right, is one of the most valuable tools that we have to help us support accurate genetic and genomic predictions. And so when you really think about that, does it work better in some breeds um, in some breed crosses than others? I think we just have to be aware of, you know, how much data, quantity and quality data are behind those genomic predictions. And that really tells, tells the story about the accuracy of those genomic predictions um, that we can provide to the commercial industry. Now, Rob and Jimmy, just a practical side of this. When do you collect samples? How do you collect samples? How fast do you get data back? Well, I try not to run the cattle through the chute any more than I have to. So I time it when they're already going through a chute. Um, we early wean. Uh, we'll wean those calves when they're, they're three to five months old. So uh, as we're given shots, uh, their bangs vaccination, we'll get to that about six and a half, seven months old. And that's the time we've selected. Uh, we use the whole punch method to take that tissue sample. At that time, we're also putting in permanent ear tags. So I'll punch that hole where an ear tag is going to go anyway. And, uh, uh, that why there's uh, there's not another hole in their ear, but it it'll take uh, when I send that sample off. Uh, uh, AGI's very very prompt. Uh, it, it takes uh, on average probably around three weeks to get the data back on them. And I'm just like a, a kid at Christmas when I'm waiting on that. So it seems a lot longer. But uh, uh, I know there's data coming, and, and uh, when I get it, I, I open it right up and, and start looking through there and, and see how they've done. Yeah, um, 
much like Jimmy, we, we try to do it when we're already processing that calf and not cause any, any additional stress. And for our replacement heifers, generally, we'll gather those samples when we're bangs vaccinating. Uh, that gives me an opportunity to get those samples in. And, and like Jimmy said, it's, you know, three or four weeks, we get our results back and that's good timing for us. Um, some of our bull and steer calves, will do that usually at weaning when we're uh, capturing weaning weights. And uh, we too use the, uh, the whole, the whole punch method uh, with the TSU sampling gun. And, and so we're moving a little bit more towards maybe gathering some samples at branding time. So I had that data much earlier and can do some, uh, some additional planning, but for the most part, we're doing it when we can get those cattle through the chute. Now you two, uh, obviously you're, you're glad that you adopted this technology. What was the most difficult aspect when you started? Well, good question. Um, I would say probably the most difficult for me was educating my staff, you know, with, with eight, cow-calf operations and two farms and a feedlot. Um, there's a lot of questions like, well, why in the heck are we doing this? And so educating, getting that buy-in, um, and then making them understand the value of capturing this data in order to improve our herd. So I would say that was probably the most difficult for me, even more so than, than just uh, the processing and data analysis. Is, is figuring out all the applications that, that I could use this data to, to help move my operation forward. Originally, I was thinking culling tool, but as I progressed and, and uh, went through the years, I find myself using it much more as a, a mating tool, a breeding tool now than a culling tool. Uh, also, I'm constantly tweaking the my worksheet uh, that you saw earlier, uh, putting those parameters up there and, and setting my, my minimums, uh, you can constantly move those as you make improvement, your herd, herd improves, keep, keep moving those and keep thinking of ways you can use it. I guess uh, probably keeping an open mind and uh, trying to, to figure out all of the different ways you can use it to, to benefit your herd. Uh, Kent, well, and Kenny, is there any connection between the commercial genomic tools that are available today and the genomic tests that have been used for a decade or more in the seed stock markets? Kenny, you want to take that one first? I'll fill in. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do what I missed. So absolutely. Um, that's where it started. You know, in 2010, as Kelly said, that's when the, the industry first started using genomics. So that is... That is where it started. And, you know, just looking at some of our tests, I'll let Kent fill in if I miss something there. But, you know, we work with all our breed association partners. You know, we need the genomic data. We need the phenotype data. And that helps us build our products. So um, I didn't mention it earlier, but, you know, that's I, we partnered with IGS, International Genetic Solutions. It's the world's largest uh, purebred database. And then we partnered with some commercial operations, you know, so everything came downhill. So that is where it starts. And that's the, 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 the main, main piece that we got to keep focus on. It starts at the seed stock level. So that's what all of our commercial tests get built on is data getting pulled in from our seed stock partners and our associations 
and then down to the larger um, com uh, commercial customers because it is, as Kelly mentioned, it's all in the database. If you don't have good, accurate information, your commercial test is, is junk. And so that's what we all focus on. We all want the best database that we can to allow to give our producers the highest, most accurate predictions of their commercial animals. Yeah, I would just reiterate uh, what Kenny said. Almost exclusively, the predictions are informed by the phenotypes gathered from seed stock breeders. So be that birth weight and calving yeast scores, be it any maternal trait, any post weaning growth, uh, carcass measure, ultrasound measures. Almost exclusively, it's the phenotypes from seed stock breeders that are either driving the marker effects or for an application we have called inherit, it's being, uh, those predictions are being driven through the relationship between the tested female and then the phenotypes that are in the database that then inform the predictions. So they're, they're, in, they're, they're linked, they're so linked. And that's, that's also the beauty of the, of the system in that um, uh, the predictions for the bulls can complement and accentuate the predictions for the females and the feeder cattle. And uh, I think down the road, we can also see opportunities emerging whereby commercial cow-calf producers might even contribute phenotypes to the evaluations. Well, thank you, Kent and Kenny, uh, and Rob and Jimmy and Kelly. I appreciate you for joining us today and sharing your expertise and invaluable perspective. Uh, and thanks to all of you for taking the time today to watch another edition of Bova News and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel.